Hello, and welcome to HR Unplugged. In today's episode, Anita Grantham, head of HR, and myself, Vanessa Brulot, human resource business partner at Bamboo HR, walk through the key ways people analytics can help HR leaders be a strategic business partner. We'll discuss why people analytics is key to HR leaders' future and the success of the business, how to ask the right questions to start using people analytics, and what data you should track and what tools you can use to be a strategic partner. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. I just want to welcome everybody to episode 20. I can't believe we're on episode 20. It's super exciting how people analytics can help you be a strategic business partner. Please visit us at hrunplug.com where you can subscribe to our series and you can view latest episodes and past episodes in any podcasting platform format that you prefer. And then the real value of this community exists in our Slack community. So join our HR heroes on Slack. You can post jobs, you can post questions, you can get resources. You can get jalapeno margarita recipes, iced coffee recipes. We're here for you. This is your forum of your people to help you with whatever you need. We're here for it. So uh, get into HR Heroes. And finally, we have the best chat, I swear, of all podcasts. So get in this chat, ask your questions, help each other, network, get to know one another. And um, with that, let's go ahead and dive in on what people analytics is and why it's important. Yes, I'm excited to dive into the topic for today. How, it, like you said, like how people analytics can help you be a, a strategic business partner. People analytics is so important, and I think we're going to see so much more discussion around this in the coming years. I'm learning that it's key to an HR leader's future and really the success of the business. So let's start with just a simple foundation of what people analytics is. So Anita, can you give us your thoughts on that? Okay, so this is how we see it. Um, Feel free to challenge me or add into your own definition. I'd love to see your own definition of what people analytics is. At Bamboo, we see people analytics is the connection between what you're measuring in HR and how that impacts what the business really wants. And that's what we're going to talk about a lot today. Because look, in Bamboo or any HR system, you have a bunch of data. But what good is that data if it's not connecting to or solving business problems? Here's some statistics for us to muddle with. HR teams that use analytics are 10x more likely to be able to buy, provide insights to leaders. So I think that's that's super interesting. And that companies that excel at analytics are more likely to financially outperform their competitors. So this has been my big beef for years. Tell me if you have it too. We put all of this money into software, data, dashboards, solutions around our go-to-market. Yet humans are our number one asset to the business, our number one expense, but we don't put that same around amount of rigor around our people analytics. And that's really what I'd love to push us to do. So I am fully behind these statistics that they help us be more effective. They help us to provide insights to our leaders and that those companies that are really well-minded around analytics are going to outperform our competitors. And right now with the state of this really interesting landscape, I think we've got to be really disciplined to this. So so this is a, a great topic for us today. I'm excited to dive in. 
Yeah, for me in my role, like using people analytics or putting on that hat that people analytics can help me be a better business partner has really changed how I approach gathering and analyzing data. What do you think about that, Anita? Well, first, I want to make sure everybody knows and celebrates Vanessa's new role. So you may or may not know Vanessa's been at Bamboo uh, for over six years, and she was a talent acquisition partner within Bamboo, which means, you know, other word would be recruiter. So really focused and has done excellent recruiting for Bamboo for a long time. And just has been such an amazing partner of the business that we started up a business partner function January 9th. And Vanessa moved over and is, is pivoting her career to be a business partner. And I'm really excited that Vanessa is in this new role. And I'm really excited that she can share some of her journey around how she's used data analytics to build her partnership. Is there anything I missed on that journey or anything you'd add, Vanessa? Yeah, I, I just posted in the chat so many learnings. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, I, I'm watching myself through this journey and it's, and it's really exciting because this is a type of role that every pivot and turn, like every day I'm learning something completely new and it's so exciting. That's so awesome. So tell me a little bit, like, I know that, um, when you start out thinking about analytics, one of the things that Vanessa and I are working on together is really thinking about who is your audience um, I really want you to think about this because again, you have access to data. Um, we all can be, I know I can be better at analytics, but when I go in to do this, I want to make sure that I'm thinking about who's my audience, who am I crafting this for, who is going to be reading and consuming this data and what problem am I looking to solve through it? Or what initiative am I looking to influence as a, as a lot of, as, as an outcome of this data and analytics project? A lot of, you know, HR folks that I've talked to look at the perspective around what HR is already doing and almost how they can prove their worth. I don't know if any of you felt that way. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, we're in a judgment-free zone here, but I, I want us to expand around um, using data and analytics to solve problems. And then the, the question of your worth or what you're focused on goes away. And it actually is a, a catapult into real value creation for the leaders that you're supporting. So I'd love to hear, Vanessa, your, your true in the field um, examples of this. Yeah, like uh, just understanding like the diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really want to, to dive into this because of, like part of the discussion of how we talk about people on like help people analytics helps you be that better business partner. And I do have some real life experiences right now currently. And one of the things I think about is when you go into working with, with business leaders, you have to think about how they're viewing things in the company and you're, you're hopping in the boat with them and their org, you're reaching a finish line. Do you know what they are doing to like row together to get to that finish line and figuring out, okay, you know, with this year, a lot of businesses are feeling a lot of the pain financially or just like trying to be efficient with the resources they have. And so being super efficient in that boat and rowing is super crucial. Um, and so one of the things that that I've been looking at with my business leaders is the insights in well-being efforts. And it's insights for business leaders to improve well-being, engagement, overall satisfaction of their employees. And because if you don't have employees who are engaged in the boat, you're not going to create those efficiencies you need to reach that finish line with the resources you have. 
And so thinking through that, it's like, okay, well, for an example, you know, we took our well-being survey and looked at the, the data and how can I partner with my business leader and make this useful for them to create outcomes and diagnose what's actually happening. So number one, as soon as I get that report, I already know that my business leader can look at it whenever they want, but what am I doing to partner with them to be able to see those patterns and trends? And so prior to meeting with them, you know, creating that list of like, okay, what are the patterns and trends? Is there more data that's needed? Is there missing data? For example, maybe the score for employees feeling optimistic at work is low, but you don't have a lot of the content, the context about why, you know, why is that, you know, what are they really needing there? Because you could just look at that data point and be like, okay, it's low, but what now? And so think, listing out what are the missing points, create vis visualizations such as charts and graphs to make it easier to interpret the data. So one of the things I did was compare trends of, of saying, okay, how do we compare within the last six months of our well-being survey? You know, what is our response rate? How does it compare from this org to the rest of the company? Where are we at in correlation to that? Where are we at in correlation to the analysis of the different pieces within that report? You know, maybe somebody feeling less optimistic at work is connected to, hey, I'm remote and I'm not connecting to the people because I am virtual. And so looking at all those analysis is, and that's not even a word, analysis is, I just made something up. There you go. <laughs> that's smart about so That's good. Yes. You, you want to kind of compare all these different results because then when you go back to the executive, uh, this was kind of part of my learning path was at first, I just kind of wrote out all this report and put all these graphs together. But you as a leader, Anita, looking at that, it's like, okay, what am I supposed to get out of this? And so one thing that I've learned in this recent process, it was called out to me of like, what's your weather report? Uh, my, my new leader that just come on, Kelsey, she, she gave me this analogy of like, hey, with this weather report, you know, are you just kind of telling them the weather? Are you telling them, you know, giving them recommendations on what to wear because of the weather, you know, and how to proceed with the weather? And, and that kind of put things into perspective for me to say, oh, I need to be able to create some sort of summary. So I leveled up in that before I went to, uh, well, with one of my leaders, Anita, you, I did this after, um, but really you want to go into that meeting with the executive when you partner with them to talk through these things is say, hey, here's the summary. Here are kind of the key themes that I'm seeing. Here's the overall pieces of information that I really want you to get out of this and kind of the trends and patterns. And here's the appendix with the deeper information. So if we need to dive deeper into this and diagnose at a deeper level, we can, but it gets you that first conversation to say, okay, what now? And then you can partner with that executive and say, okay, what were the missing data points? Okay, well, hey, let's let's get together. Uh, and you know, maybe there's a different place where we can get some of this context that we need. And so last month, I was able to gather some feed, further feedback from our team to really understand, you know, what, what do these different pieces mean? You know, what do they really need? And we're able to gather a lot of this feedback to where now we have a very full report together and going back to our leaders to say, okay, when we get together, we want to all agree on what are we going to start doing? What are we going to start do, stop doing? And what will we continue to do? And as a leadership team, then you're able to come together and get with on that agreement together 
And then you can bring that back to the team because you want them to consistently engage in those types of reports so that we know how we're going to row together continuously. And so then you go back to the team and say, hey, I hear you. Thank you for your engagement. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to act based on what we got. And then doing that over and over again to, to make sure that you're pulling them along because you have the end result, that end finish line with maybe your OKRs or company goals for the year. And so by pulling them through the year, you create that alignment, you create that connection with the overall team. And then you're able to not like retain top talent as well because then they feel super connected to the overall goals. You can also track trends with those extra context questions that you gather later of, you know, how connected do you feel the company goals? What can we do to help you feel connected? Uh, for example, there may be a trend that you find within this report where people don't feel like they totally understand what lingo we're using or what, how is my particular personal goals affecting the OKRs? If you're trending down, then you could go back to your leaders and say, hey, we might need some one-on-one -on -one time. You know, in your one-on-ones, take spend more time with this. Here's some resources we can give to them. Here's a place where we can all track and go back to you on recordings and trainings so that we can be, be better and be together on this. There's so much goodness in it. And the last piece is, I know I'm talking so much because I love talking about these learnings because I've learned so much in just the last 30 days. It is insane. So one of the things that this state, a couple of things that this data can help us diagnose. Number one, it drives data-driven decision-making because you're identifying those patterns by using the data to make the decisions and you're able to be strategic and make more informed decisions that benefit the business and the employees. Number two, you're understanding workforce needs. You can analyze the data and identify skill gaps, training needs, and other areas where employees need support. It also helps you develop more targeted HR initiatives to meet the needs of your team. Like I said before, maybe there's a training need. Maybe we need to dive deeper into one-on-ones and give that time. Uh, it's improving employee engagement. With this well-being survey, you can see where people are struggling and develop those things that can help with the retention. Uh, you can also measure effectiveness of the initiatives in OKRs, tracking those trends. How are we doing? Are we tracking, tracking up or down? And the last thing is improving communication with employees and managers. You may discover misalignments or miscommunications within the team and drive discussions or new approaches to improve that. Uh, it's all about like it's it's just going back to that canoe because then you might find that one player, they they might hear what's happening, but they don't understand the cadence. And maybe it's just a simple thing of like, hey, here's the cadence. OK, I'm rolling with you now. And so th there's so much beauty and goodness in these types of reports, because then I can partner with that business leader and truly understand the needs at a deeper level within the org. So I can help them drive those initiatives and drive those decisions. And it really builds that up. And Anita, I'd love some insight from you. How do you think People Analytics helps you be a better business partner? Well, I love all these examples and I love that your passion, Vanessa, it's so good. And it's just awesome to see all your growth and energy around, around this new role. It's just been a pleasure to partner and work with you in this. So I'd love just to share kind of where you and I were working from. So at the top level, we have a company goal at Bamboo that says that we want 87% of our team members to understand how their job impacts the mission. 
So that's what kind of kicked off this project that Vanessa's given a really great deep dive into. So, you know, I believe that when a team member understands how their job impacts the mission, that they're going to be more engaged. And I think that engagement drives value for the employee and then it drives value for the customer. So that's that's the overall premise. When we took this back to our own HR team, we started to survey on, do you feel connected? And we started to see in the well-being data that they were struggling understanding their own goals, how to set goals, and how to connect those goals to the mission. And so it was through the data and the process that Vanessa just described to you that we sent out the well-being survey. We got information back saying that goal setting was something that people weren't really clear on how they were supposed to engage in it. And they weren't sure how to tie those goals up to the organizational goals. So what did we do in our next all hands? We actually asked one of our best team members on the team to do a training on OKRs, which are objectives and key results. And Ethan came in and did this amazing presentation on how to be effective in identifying objectives and setting strong key results. And then we've done another survey. How do you feel on it? Do you feel like you're able to better identify your goals? Do you feel like you're more connected to the mission? We've recognized we've got more work to do here. So we're actually spending probably every team meeting we have, I think, in this first quarter, Vanessa, on goal setting in some form or fashion in our team meetings. And then we're using the surveys to get feedback back around how it's being received and if it's moving the needle and making a difference. And so just wanted to share that that has been a great way for because, you know, Vanessa, you know, is the business partner for HR as well as for finance and for engineering right now. So she's getting a lot of different learnings, but she's able to go back and say, okay, leader, what's important to you? What do you want to drive on? And then I can go and create the data story that helps drive that outcome. So a lot of comments in here have been like, how do I tell the story? And I want to make sure we spend some time on that. It is in the story, but you have to know what story you're telling. So to the the question to ask is, hey, business leader, what's important to you? Or what are you concerned about? And then let me go look at the data or gather the data that we can dive into and analyze around what's actually happening. So that's one example, Vanessa, of how I think we can partner. I love that. And and thank you for diving deeper into that because there's so much goodness. Well, let's walk through the list of what we think HR folks should already be keeping a pulse on when it comes to metrics. Anita, what areas should we be focusing on even before we start to think about it, analytics? Yeah. So let's separate. I love that you're asking this question, Vanessa. Let's separate data from analytics. Like you have access to data. So you have access to performance data. You have access to engagement surveys. I know you may not all have a platform for that, but don't, excuse me, don't feel like you need a fancy platform. You can do it inside Google Sheets really easily. And then um, you can use that to analyze um, performance, engagement, turnover. You also have a wealth of compensation data, um, whether you're tracking it or not. Um, There's a bunch of other data you have access to, but then think about what problems do I want to solve based on this data? Are you experiencing turnover in an area? Do you have a methodology for how you calculate turnover? I mean, we could go 10 clicks into any one of these topics. And so if you have questions on any one of these, or you want to work through a real life story creation on any of these, I'd be happy to do it. But Vanessa, to your question, I think those are some of the areas that you would kind of want to have your fingers on regularly. 
Yeah, and I think it would be really helpful for our, our listeners if we outlined a few questions that might kickstart a people analytics process. Can you give us a few examples? I know turnover is a key topic we talked about in our prep meeting, and maybe we can have some more insights from the folks on the call. So if any of you have examples of this, please add into the chat some questions you want us to explore, anything in this area. So Anita, what, what examples do you have? So one example that we just worked through, we just had our monthly business review last week. And one of the questions that came up is, hey, we might, we're experiencing turnover. Is this turnover from um, team members that were headquartered in Utah, but we've got team members all over the U.S.? And the hypothesis was, is that team members that were not in Utah were less engaged in turnover and, and turning over more quickly. So that was the data that I wanted to go pull, right? So by that, I've got to have people's addresses. I want to know where they are, right? And I want to see based on the last 12 months, have they stayed or left at a higher pace than people that were in the state where we are headquartered? So that was super interesting. And then I was able to take that back and say, hey, should we be hiring in a certain state different? Like, should we be hiring more in Utah or less in Utah? Should we be building, like one of my hypotheses is that if we're going to build a sales team and we want to do it outside of the state of Utah, because we feel like we may not be able to access the talent, I'm making this up. You know, maybe you go and you hire a bigger team in Oklahoma or Texas or wherever, pick any state. And, um, but it's through understanding this data that would help me understand where we should build and keep teams and also what's driving, maybe we're struggling with onboarding of those team members. Maybe it's one leader that's hiring out of a certain geography that isn't effectively training their team members to be successful, right? There's a number of different things that I can ask based on that data. So that's, that's one example um, of how you can use the data to solve and apply to a business-related challenge. I love that. And I love that you kind of were pulling in different types of reporting, different types of questions. Instead of not narrowing into one funnel, you're thinking at a higher level and looking at different pieces to really diagnose that, that core issue. Yeah, definitely. You want to make sure that's just what it is. Like, I always love that example that you're kind of pulling towards Vanessa of diagnosis. It's like you go to the doctor, which Vanessa and I've been a lot. We were saying earlier in the call, she's got COVID, I've got strep. So we're all, we're all working through it. But could you imagine, like I went to the doctor, I thought I had strep throat. And if he was just like, didn't look at my throat, didn't do anything and just prescribed me an antibiotic. I mean, I have never had strep before in my life. Um, and it's been in my house six times since November. I have not caught it. So think about, he's asking me a lot of questions. He's checking my throat. He's seeing if I have a fever. He's doing all of those things. He's diagnosing and then he's prescribing. And I feel like um, data and analytics is such a hot button. It's like, oh, I need data on this, but we're not really diagnosing what the condition of the patient is. Um, is it turnover? And if so, why, why is turnover the thing that we're worried about? What do we think is really happening on that team or in that geography, you know, or under that leader? You know, I really, if there's one kind of core tenant, I'd love to insert ahead of data and analytics, it's curiosity. It's curiosity to diagnose and then prescribe. And so to do that, you have to ask a lot of questions to make sure that you're focused on the right thing. And then, you know, for those of you that have been concerned about story creation, your story is there, right? Because you can say, here's the problem. 
here's all the questions we asked to, to, to diagnose the problem. Now we know that this is what we can go get data on. And the answer may be different the problem might be different based on the data that you are able to access and find. Because data usually brings up, at least for me, um, more questions than, than answers a lot of times. I, I have a hunch and then I look at the data. Like I'll give, I'll give one. I just talked to CNBC earlier this morning on this. And in our last survey that you've got to get access to, um, it seems like a lot of the people that are doing layoffs right now are doing it on a first in first out type scenario. And that's really interesting to me. I'm just, I'm personally just not a believer in the first in first out type methodology if you're doing layoffs, but the data says that a lot of people believe that's the way to do it. So it makes me want to ask questions. Hey, HR professionals in the ecosystem, why are you picking that? Why do you think that's the best reason to do it? Like it wants me to ask more questions versus again, we're a judge, a judgment-free zone here. I don't have any judgment on it, but I'd really like to learn um, what somebody else is seeing out there that I may not be seeing. And the data will help illuminate those ways to be curious. We do have a, a, a case uh, where somebody's looking for advice. So I hopefully I don't uh, botch your name. I'm so sorry. Desiree uh, is saying we're really struggling with turnover. 120 people in the first quarter of the year. That's 20% of our workforce. However, our employee surveys and MPS scores are high. We don't have a clear understanding or pattern as to why folks are leaving. Do you have any advice for Desiree? Yes, Desiree, I love this. Now I want to look at your um, where they are. So like our turnover is higher in CX, our turnover is higher in sales than it is in product development or GNA. So I always like to slice the data by department. So have you sliced the data by department? And have you looked, are they turning over in the first 12 months? Are they more senior? Um, and then can you correlate that to, they may be really be happy with your organization on the whole. Can you get any detail around the people that they're reporting to? Is there a leadership challenge? And then I would, I always love doing in Zoom or in-person focus groups where I give the data back to the teams. And I'm like, hey, it seems like 20% is high according to our targets, right? What do you see that I don't see because the data is not leading me down a very visible path? Um, what can you share with me? Or maybe you take those questions in the data and you do a double click into them, right? What could we do that would enable people to stay? And this came up too, and you all know that I'm a big fan of stay interviews, but I would be deploying stay interviews as a strategy, Desiree, immediately um, before you get, I mean, yes, exit interviews are also valuable, but you're late to the party on it. So get in front of the people that are really delivering and say, um, you know, Vanessa and I did this. This is my favorite example. I called Vanessa and I said, if a recruiter were to call you, would you take the call? Like get really direct with it and see what they would say, because that's going to be your indicator. So don't wait until they've already taken the call. We're too late by then and we don't want to lose them by then. So those are the overall thoughts. Please, please, um, you know, send further questions. Well, and just to, to add to that too, is like as the receiver, because sometimes you worry like, oh, but what if I have this conversation? It makes them think, oh, now I should really think about leaving. Don't think that because for, for me in that conversation, it was, oh, wow, I have this new leader that immediately is thinking about my my value. I, I immediately felt valued in that conversation of like, oh, there is a business impact that I can make here. 
I feel way more connected. Okay, now it's an open and safe environment for me to be open about where I'm at. And we're able to move forward from there and partner together of like, hey, what is that growth path for me look like? And it opened up a lot of avenues and just really good conversations. And I think that is an example of an exceptional leader right there who's willing to have the courage to have that conversation. I know it sounds scary, but it's a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I um I always say this to the teams, and I would say very few people take me up on it. There isn't anything I don't want to hear. Like I really, I really, really mean it. I even mean this. Like if you do this, if you have kids, if you deal with your kids, but I, I there isn't anything I don't want to hear because like I I use this like um I don't know about you all if there's any parents in the audience. I hate slime. I think it's the worst freaking invention on the planet for small children. I've seen shoes ruined, carpets ruined, walls ruined, all the things. Do the girls still love slime? Yes, yes. Slime and glitter, horrible, horrible inventions. So, um, but whatever, we still have them. I still buy them, all the things. And so um, as these slime catastrophes have happened, you know, my my core value is like, hey, this is our house. We all take care of the house. We all believe that this is our property. And when you tell mommy about these things sooner, then we can fix them. If you're afraid mommy is going to go yell at you and you don't tell me, then the slime is permanently embedded into the carpet as it is currently upstairs. So what we've really worked on is if you can tell me, then I can fix it. If you don't tell me until it's too late, then it's broken. And I think this is really important with our team members. So this is where I have to be really disciplined to my response. I have to be really disciplined that when they do come to me with something that may not be pleasant here, like if Vanessa, she did say to me, yeah, if a recruiter calls me, I'm going to take the call. That was her answer to me. Did that like, you know, was it a shot to the heart? Yes. Like it hurt right here. But you know what? It gave me information that I could do something with, right? And if I was afraid to hear that, or if I responded and I said, how dare you? Like, how dare you? Like, why would you ever want to leave? Like, of course, it wouldn't be safe. And she would have regretted ever being honest with me. The same thing happens in in our families, right? So now I've created a, a thing at work and at home where the girls would be like, and they even prep me. They're like, please don't use the mean voice. I have a mean mommy voice, just so you know. So they say, please don't use the mean mommy voice. And I, I spilled the slime and I would love your help cleaning it up. And then I'm really disciplined. I'm like, awesome. Thank you so much for telling me. Let's go get on a YouTube channel and figure out how best we eliminate slime from the carpet and let's work on it together so we can figure it out. And that's what Vanessa and I did. We eliminated slime out of her career path, right? And we said, hey, I know that you're not happy. You're going to take a call. What would it look like if I'm the recruiter and I'm calling you? What do you want your future to be like here? What is the job you want here? And in less than a year, she's in a new job and she's kicking kicking butt. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you bring up like a really good point there too of like what kinds of questions you can or, or things you can say in those state interviews. Uh, we had a, a comment and I'm sorry if my voice sounds weird. I have that cough drop in my mouth. So, um, but Stephanie had mentioned my guess is questions for state interviews can be tailored to organizational need understanding, but are there a few key core questions that you would recommend? Are stay interviews best done in group or individual settings? That's a great question. I think it's very individual because I don't think that in a group, somebody is going to raise their hand and be like, I'm taking a recruiter call today. Um, Because like, look, it is a strange environment, but top talent is always in demand, right? I'm hiring for a CMO right now. It is so competitive. 
so competitive. Like people do not want to leave because it's so uncertain. So, you know, one of the things we learned in our data, right, is that people didn't feel optimistic about the future. And when you talk to people and you put this into your one-on-ones, why aren't you feeling optimistic? What I learned when I asked these questions in my one-on-ones is, well, you know, inflation is high, strange things are happening in the world. I just don't feel optimistic about the future. Well, how does bamboo play in? How bamboo plays in is that in our all hands and in our town halls, we strike a message of continuity and stability and commitment to our future. Right. And in our one-on-ones, we strike that balance too of like, this is why you want to be here. This is what is going to happen in your career. This is how committed I am to you. So this is again how you're tying data to saving top talent. You're tying data to driving business outcomes and performance in your talent because you're asking it one-on-one. I think if you're going to go to an affinity group or an ERG or you're going to do a focus group, all of those are great. And in those forums, I would ask questions like, what are things that we could do to retain people more effectively? And then you're going to get big, more macro answers like, hey, we need more transparency. What's the future of the business? Do we feel confident in our strategy? What are we doing to win the space? What are we doing to sell new products or services out, right? So that's where you're going to get those more macro questions. But if you're really concerned about you know, a team or an individual, that's where I really want you to work it into your one-on-one cadence. And, you know, one of the questions was how often, and I think, you know, twice a year, right? Or, you know, once a quarter, um, it's, uh, it's never, you can never do it too much. You can never care about somebody too much. Nobody's going to say, I wish you wouldn't ask me if I'm committed to staying here anymore. Now they will get sick of it if you don't do anything about it. Right. So that's where you've got to be really careful. And and we have an opportunity to be better here at Bamboo. If I'm being completely vulnerable and honest, we take a lot of feedback from our teams and we're really poor at reporting back what we are going to stop, start and continue, like Vanessa said. So that's real work that that our team is going to take on this year so that we can say, hey, we got your feedback and we're not doing that this year. Right. That's okay. That's honest. That's transparent. But we are doing these things. And once we do these things, then we will get to these next things. And we're going to continue to ask how we're doing. And I want it really customized to the team. I really want it customized to the department. I think it's getting harder and harder to peanut butter spread across organizations in different time zones, different countries, different, you know, all the things. So I want you to get specific and address the needs of the team or the department. Um, Taylor had a really good question about this is, do you feel like stay interviews need to be in person or could they be conducted via survey and then a follow-up conversation? What's your response to that? I think if you really want somebody on your team to stay, you have that on zoom or in person. Um, if you want to do like, uh, if you're using a big survey tool, uh, one of my favorite questions to ask via survey is, do you see yourself at bamboo over the next two years? So that way you can see for a team or an organization, how committed is your base? I love that question. So Taylor, if I'm going to put that into a survey, that would be how I would do it. And I would do it for the masses. We have another question from Rebecca. Should the employee's manager conduct stay interviews or would it be as beneficial if HR would conduct them? Absolutely. The leader. We are running leader-led processes here. The leader is responsible for retaining the talent and for making it perform in the business. And so like, this is where, like, if you have an individual that feels like they may not be open, maybe you do it all together. 
Maybe you coach the leader or you coach the team member how to deliver the message. You can do that beforehand, but you've got to get them to talk to one another. That is such a great signal. Again, that's great, painful information, but something's happening there that's making them not want to talk to each other, which is signal number one, that there could be something to go work on. And that's where the leader has to be really disciplined in their response. If you have a leader that won't respond well to the answer, and this is where as a, as a business partner, and when I use the word business partner, that's, that's synonymous with you are an HR team of one, like all of us are business partners, right? And so if you have a business partner, I always like to prep them and say, okay, okay, leader, if you have this conversation with Vanessa and she tells you she's going to call a recruiter or take a recruiter call, how are you going to respond? And if you're like, you know, I'm going to flip tables and I'm going to be so paired off and I'm going to be so upset, then be like, okay, well then maybe we shouldn't ask that question right now. Because what are you, what type of experience are you going to leave that team member with? Right. I always love to map out in my conversation. How do I want Vanessa, whoever I'm working with, to feel during and after this conversation? That's what they remember. So, what's your intention of asking this question? Well, I want them to stay. Great. Are you willing to hear anything that may not even be in alignment with them staying? They might tell you they want to leave. How are you going to respond? Let's work on you as a leader and how you can respond to that. And once we get into a place where you can be neutral, then we can go ask the question. I love that. And I'm I'm just getting in on this one last question before I move to our next part is from Stephanie. Do you feel that stay interviews should be packaged with financial compensation to allow time to impact the data collected somewhat like a stay put package? What's your advice or recommendation on that? I think it depends what your intention is. You know, if you're, if you want to do a retention package, um, you know, those are really useful. If you've done an acquisition and you're trying to maintain the talent that you've just purchased to deliver a product or a service. But, you know, I think it depends. It, what is your intention? Is your intention just to see where the team member is at? Um, but you may find out information that is new. So I don't like getting too far ahead because I don't know what I'm going to discover. Remember, we are investigators. We are curious investigators for the majority of our role. So um, I like to go, and this is where I, I want to use my bias tools and I want to check my biases. Um, so already you're telling me that I'm going to go into the state interview and I'm pre-wired to think that they're going to leave and I'm going to have to pull in a retention strategy. That means everything that I hear back in that conversation has that lens over the top. I'm looking for something, right? What is What do they call it in the court shows? You're, you're leading the witness. You're leading the witness. I don't want to lead the witness. I want to be genuinely unbiased and curious about what I will discover. And then from there, I may come back and say, okay, we need a retention package or, you know, we need an opportunity for them to contribute in a different role. But I don't want my uh, view or my listening ears to be biased with an outcome that may or may not be the reality. Mm -hmm. Well, I know some folks are going to ask what tools they can use to get started with people analytics. So what experience have you had with the tools and what advice can you share on that? Oh my gosh, there's so many tools out there. So before you buy a tool, please know what you want, right? Like I get this, you know, I, I get this answer or this question all the time from people doing all these, you know, HR analytics startups. And they're like, Anita, you know, what kind of, what kind of information do you report on at a board meeting? What kind of information do you report on a leadership meeting? And like my, my biggest thing is that you as the buyer 
have to know what type of data you want. You have to know, can you analyze the data? What is the story you want to tell? What is the problem you want to solve? And look, the majority of things you can get out of a Google form or a Google sheet, use your G Suite, right? And get your questions formulated, get your cadence worked out, um, get it figured out what you're looking at. Look at that data and say, I love, I love Vanessa's earlier example. Are you giving a weather report? Are you able to bubble that data up to a level and work on telling your story? And when you get really proficient all of that and all of that, then maybe you want to go out and buy some type of tool, right? There's a lot that exists in your core HR platform, right? You've got um, pay, you've got addresses, you've got, you know, health insurance information. There's a lot of information that you get out of the core HRS data, and then if you want to level, you know, um, a different view or dynamic, you would put engagement information on top of that. But again, you have to know what, what problem you're solving to really know what type of system. So I think start small, start cheap, start easy and start playing with it and see how it's working for you. Um, because if you're an HR business of partner of one, you don't have a lot of time for this. Right. So, you know, that's maybe where you want to buy an HRIS system that comes intact with some data and analytics tools. Like I know that if I, at any time I want to pull up where everybody's, you know, working from, I can see that in Bamboo. If I want to see engagement scores, I can see that in Bamboo. I see EMPS, I see well-being, all of that served up for me. That helps me a ton. Um, I don't have to hire people to go do that for me. I can see it myself. So if you are going to buy a tool, make sure that it serves it up in a way, and it automates it for you that you can you can get it on your own. I think you bring up a really good point there too, Anita, is that you could be a never-ending detective if you don't know what you're trying to solve for. You like you want to be a detective that can solve cases, like, and so figure out what those different cases are and go towards those because it can be super overwhelming the amount of data that you could look into, and then you're just on this never-ending path of data and you're never getting anywhere. Yeah, because I, I meet with a lot of these um, founders that are creating these startups um, and, and they do a lot of really cool things. And so I've gotten looped into this before. Like I take the bait, right? And they're like, Anita, I can tell you exactly what's happening here, here, and here. And I'm like, wow, that's really, really cool. And then I like slap myself and I'm like, well, what is it that I want to know? Why do I want to know this? Like, what, what, what is it going to tell me? It doesn't speak to anything that I'm working on currently. So why would I want to do that? You know, are there free tools? There probably are. Um, I would love everybody to contribute on a thread back to Lori on what free tools you've used. I mean, I think the closest to free would be some type of Google form. I don't know if you can get that for free, but um, those would, the, would be the things. So I'd love for all of us to participate on any free tools you've used that have been super helpful. Yeah, I know for me, like I've, I've used the G Suite quite a bit. And I mean, the survey form in Google does wonders and you can get graphs from that. But if you need to build anything from that data, it's very easy in um, spreadsheets to, to build out graphs there. So, well, Anita, this was such a great conversation. Thank you so much. Before we wrap up, uh, I know that we've had a lot of good questions come through. Um, but we'd love to open up the conversation to the audience to see if there are any other final questions that you have for us in regards to this topic that we can talk through and discuss. And just to kind of kick us off uh, with just one question is if we look at, so here's a question. I understand that people analytics should be used to help me be a better business partner, but I really need to improve my value to the team. We're worried about layoffs. How do you recommend I do that? 
I'd love more information when you say improve your value to the team. Um, if you're worried about layoffs, I would say, why are you worried about layoffs? Is the business not performing? Are you seeing customers canceling your product or service? Um, is it hard for you to secure new business? What's happening there? So I would just encourage you again to get curious and ask in, in the team meetings and with the information that you have access to, um, you know, what's happening. So get clear, um, are layoffs a reality or not? And you could actually say, how would we make that decision, right? So a great way that you could create value is to say, hey, it seems like we need to increase our expense line. What are the biggest things that go into expenses, right? One, our humans, two, our benefits, Three is um, used to be travel and entertainment. It still may or may not be in your current business environment. Um, but you know, what are the big, three biggest things contributing to our expense line? And do we need all of them right now? Like I was saying earlier, I, I'd been to a dinner in San Francisco with about 15 of my peers. And a lot of them had said that, you know, with everything that happened through the pandemic, they had all brought on additional benefits around mental health and, and things like that, which are super important. Yet what they are recognizing is that the utilization is very low. And so my question is then, do you wanna keep those benefits on, right? If it's just to say, I have a mental health benefit, the majority of my population is not utilizing it. It's probably on a run rate of 20 to 50K a year. Maybe that's something that you would cut out before you would go to a layoff. Um, maybe there's a way that you could address, adjust your travel and expense policy in a way that you can handle that before a layoff. Maybe, um, you know, there's other things that you could do, but I would go through and I'd create a list of all of the things and the expenses and the value that those expenses drive to the health of the business and then serve up a case of like, hey, once we cut all of these things, if we still don't see the business recovering, then we might want to go into a human type of situation. But have we really been managing performance? And if we haven't been managing performance, how do we start doing that right now so that anyone that isn't fully contributing, we're having a performance conversation with, because I'd much rather have that type of a conversation than a layoff. I think a layoff is way more detrimental to the overall culture and confidence of the organization than, than we think about. And if, of course, if your business is ready to close the doors and that's the option, I have a lot of empathy and that's the option. But those are some of the ways that I would have you consider about driving value in that conversation. Yeah, thank you. And I know that Denise has a question of what data in the stay interview can you measure? Well, you could. So if you're doing that big overall question that I talked about, like, would you stay at Bamboo over the next two years? Do you see yourself staying here over the next two years? And you're doing that on a quarterly cadence or twice a year is probably fine. That's what I'd be measuring, right? And if I see that dropping off, um, you know, the other corollaries to the staying is, am I proud to be here? Do I see myself staying here? Do I feel like I belong here? Do I have somebody that believes in my success? And those together kind of give you a picture of what you could go tackle on a team or in an organization. So that would be what I'd be measuring is, you know, this, this, uh, these last two quarters, 80% of our team members see themselves staying in the organization for the next six months. And then in the next six months, does it drop off? And do I need to do something different? I love that. Well, I'm going to wrap up with just this one last question. And then uh, we'll we'll wrap things up here. But Na Natalia asked a really good question of how do you address turnover rates to your organization? So I love this question. And so our targets for turnover vary by our population. 
You know, so an average turnover rate for a customer success organization is like 40%. It's really high, you know, but that is it. So our target, of course, because I, I like to believe that we're better. So I love to target 30%. You know, for, for an inside sales team, turnover for inside sales teams are like 50%. So I like to target like 40%. I like to be better than that, actually. Um, for product and engineering, you know, it can be up to 15%. So I like to target 10 um, and then two, with, with different teams, I really like to look at regrettable and non-regrettable, and you can go really deep on these definitions. So if I look at, um, you know, a talent and if it's regrettable, it's, wow, it surprised me. I didn't know they were leaving and I'm really bummed they left. And I really miss something by having them leave. I really regret that they're not here anymore. And um, I like to track that when leaders are really punched in the gut on an exit. I want to know how many of those there are and in which teams they're coming from. And so those are usually calibrated out of the exit interviews. And um, it is the, a business partner that kind of assesses that rating of regrettable or non-regrettable. Um, and you can kind of note by to say, like, would I rehire? Would I enthusiastically rehire this person again? That's another metric that I love um, while they're already in seat. So like if I would enthusiastically rehire them, then maybe I want to be having stay interviews with them to make sure that they're committed to staying as much as I want them to be here. Exactly. Well, I think, uh, you know, before we end, I think there's like three takeaways um, that, that we want to get from this. Do you want to name off those? Yeah. So um, what we told you you'd get by coming to our time together are ways that analytics can partner with solving business problems. So I, um, you know, we walk through a number of examples of how you can be curious, you can be an investigator and make sure that you're using the right data to solve the right problem or even further define the problem. So that's a key point how to ask the right questions to start using people analytics. We talked a lot about that in your investigator unbiased mentality to really define the problem and leverage data to help further define the outcome and influence. And then different data you should track. We talked about at a high level of that. And I know we flashed our data and analytics report. That report is gold. I really encourage you to download it because in there we give specific examples of data you can track and business value will drive. So download that report and you can see it exactly in there and how you can leverage that data to be a stronger partner in the future. Here it is right here, the definitive guide to people analytics, how to make better HR decisions. There's so much useful uh, gold in here around the data to track and the decisions that you can drive. So super grateful that you all could join us. Thank you, Vanessa, for being an incredible co-host. I always love being here with you. Thank you for joining us even through your COVID haze. You, you are perfect. We would never know that you have COVID. So thank you for being with us. And, um, you know, join us. We're going to be back actually right quick away here on April 25th for our next episode. We're going to talk about moving away from manual process, and we're going to talk about efficiency in the HR role. I know we're all here to gain more efficiency, so join us. And be sure you join us at hrunplugged.com. Subscribe to our series. You can hear all of our series and get into our HR heroes on Slack. Ask any questions. Vanessa and I will follow up directly with you in there. So super grateful. We're here for all of you and proud of all the awesome work that you're doing. So keep doing it out there. We're your biggest fans. Thanks for another great day. Have a super afternoon wherever you are in the world. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambu HR. 
visit us at bambiwhr.com slash hr dash unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambi HR sets people free to do great work. 